What's the one thing we all have in common? Well, maybe it's two. We need to eat and we want to enjoy it. But what if we lived in a community where eating healthy and local is possible for everyone? Well, the good news is that we do live there and that it is possible for everyone. The Chef Farm and Fork podcast will teach you how to pick peak seasonal ingredients to make delicious, uncomplicated dishes so that you can eat well while supporting local when it's available, which is more often than you think. We can't wait for you to get to know some of our favorite farmers, ranchers, artisans, and small business friends. Click the subscribe button now to join us in our adventures in community and gastronomy. Today I have two guests who are really just always a joy to speak with every time I see them. And one is Carter Neville, who is mayor of Warrenton, Virginia. And the other is Neil Wavra of Field and Maine in Marshall, Virginia. We're going to discuss with them how important farms and small businesses are to the community. So stay tuned and I think you're going to hear some topics that are going to resonate with you. Our first guest today is Carter Neville. He is mayor of the town of Warrenton, Virginia, and he is also a small business owner. Hi, Carter. How are you? Hi, Natalie. I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that the first time that you and I encountered each other, if I recall, was at the Warrenton Farmer's Market. I think maybe a vendor friend might have introduced us. Might have been Happy Family Ranch. Um, uh, Roberto is probably a very, very likely person to have been that introduction. Yes. (laughs) So I always meet the best people through them. So I I, you know, was remembering back to this when I had reached out to you to ask you if you could speak with us. And, you know, it really made me reflect back on the farmer's market and, Kind of when I came on the scene about almost four years ago now, it was already a great market, but so much has happened since then. And the market has kind of grown. And uh, how many years have you been shopping the farmer's market in the town of Warrington? Um, You know, as far as I can remember, I mean, it's uh, when you think about one of the most lasting sort of businesses or anchors of, uh, of old town Warrington, the farmer's market has to be it. You know, I remember growing up here and uh, and going to the farmer's market. So, you know, it's it's one of my, you know, earliest memories can be farmer's market and Warrington or Fauquier Pharmacy with Jerry Wood at the uh, pharmacist. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just always been a source of pride and um, it's something that this community has cherished and supported um, for as long as I can remember. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, it's got a long and lasted and, and really, um, you know, very strong history and ties to the community. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's just evident in speaking with some of the vendors, you know, like Sue from Sue's Pies and Joaquin from Gonzalez Farm. I mean, Joaquin was just reflecting back and he said, gosh, I guess I've been at this farmer's market for about 12 years now. 
the vendors love the market just as much as, as the customers do. They they say that if they had to give up a market, it would never be Warrington. Great to hear. That's fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, everyone from the town and volunteers have been working hard to kind of keep this going during these different ways of doing things. And so far, it seems to be working pretty well. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, the best part we can see is that when faced with what to do, when the governor's executive order singled out farmers markets as being uh, forced to not operate under normal um, plans or contingencies, uh, the opportunity to to innovate and the value of the farmers market, both in terms of community and just access to fresh local foods at a time when the local supply ch- or the national supply chain is becoming disrupted and, and can, we can't rely on it. The town very seriously considered and weighed these options and realized that, you know, the, the farmer's market was just too valuable for our own well-being, both mentally and, and physically and spiritually uh, to let go. And so, you know, so it was a wonderful putting heads together. And, you know, my hat's off to our town manager, Brandy Schaefer, and her team and, and the entire staff of the town of Warrington for coming up with this uh, innovative solution to be able to say, no, you know, we can do it as a drive through. We can we can change it up, mix it up and uh, make sure that our farmers are, are not sitting and letting their vegetables and, and produce go to waste. Um, and that they're getting in the hands of of our local consumers. Yes, and I know that was a real concern because, you know, I've become friends on a personal level with many of the vendors, and some of them were were really worried about this season and what it would mean to their livelihood. I, you know, none none of these people do this solely as a hobby. Their families are counting on this income. So I I know they are super, super, super grateful that you all have continued to provide this opportunity for them to to grow even, not even just survive. Uh, You know, we have some vendors who are telling me I have increased sales. Like today, my sales were better than they were in a regular season. So I think that just speaks to the outpouring of support from the community. And they've realized how valuable these people are in our lives. Uh, True. And I think it's also, you can't underestimate, we've all been isolated now for, you know, going on two months and spending a lot of time uh, reflecting on, you know, in, in being deprived access to what we have grown accustomed to and grown, you know, sort of expectant of and having those uh, assumptions shattered uh, we really start to reflect and, and I think look into what truly matters. And I think what we're seeing in this outpouring of support, the, the, the willingness of the community, not just to come and support, but to actually go an extra step further and, you know, and buy them out shows that we, we realize that the greatest asset and resources we have are, are within our local community. And I mean, that, that can stretch from, from the town of Warrington to the county of Fauquier to the Piedmont region, to the whole state of Virginia, even to the mid-Atlantic. But, you know, for the most part, our local resiliency is our greatest strength. And um, and we can't rely on food prices and food supply chains that are, you know, being determined from Minnesota to China to Chile and Peru. And I think that we're sort of resetting the button. And this is an exciting, hopefully, something that sticks with us that we really, we've, we've talked a lot about the value of, of local produce. And we've kind of you know, it's been kind of a luxury, but now it's become a necessity. And now that we realize the necessity, hopefully it's something we we start to invest a lot more in uh, going forward and saying that, you know, we rely on our local farmers to, to provide our needs. And without them, we're nothing. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Fauquier County is pretty lucky in that they have 
you know, some kind of unique resources that are available. And I'd just like to point out um, how awesome the PATH Foundation has been at supporting some of the local and healthy food initiatives. And I know that you are very familiar with the folks from the PATH Foundation. And they have recently, well, I guess maybe not even super recently now, but in in the okay. in the recent past, they have invested in a food hub that is now in our county. So it'll be really cool to see, you know, how 4P Foods helps strengthen our local foodways. Particularly the PATH Foundation. And I definitely do want to I think without their obviously, you know, financial investment in promoting and supporting whether the matching funds for the SNAP fund, you know, the SNAP program to be able to increase access to you know people in need who have to provide, as I said, nutritious local produce to people in um, uh, struggling financially, but also with the four P foods and their whole mission seems to be to be creating a very strong food shed sustainability economically, um, healthily. I mean, everything that they're doing is going towards a long-term, you know, health of our community, both in terms of individuals as community and economically speaking. Yes, that's so true. We, we have some really, really, really cool things going on around Fauquier County and particularly in the town of Warrington. So I just wanted to kind of give people a sense of who you are as a person. And I think one of the things for me, not knowing you very well, that stands out is I pick up right away that you are... I don't know which term to use, like a, gastro- <laughs> a gastronomist or an Epicurean. I don't know. You're a food person, a food and drink person. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, years ago, so I got my, my while I was in college, I started working at a, a fine dining restaurant um, slash bistro slash uh, nightclub in Charlottesville. And it was transformative. I mean, for all of what I learned in university, you know, my English degree and my major and everything. I probably learned more working in this tiny kitchen um, without, you know, I was a dishwasher, what was called a ladder runner. Um, So I washed dishes. There was no automatic dishwasher. Everything was washed by hand. This wasn't the dark ages. It was just probably the restaurant owner was being a little cheap. It's this tiny kitchen. It was right out of George Orwell's uh, Down and Out in Paris and London. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was this wonderful camaraderie in this kitchen and this wonderful sense of, you know, the, the, the ladder runner, the dishwasher was was so sort of important. If, if, if you messed up, everything really would go to hell. And so, you know, you're, you had this fine dining. It was the, one of the best restaurants in the region. And so you had this huge reputation and, and you really had to pull your weight. And so, you know, I, I learned so much just from that job. And then the opportunity to be watching these chefs create and watch people bring in foraged morels and, and various mushrooms and fresh greens and seeing produce come in and and being around that all the time and then also being introduced to their wonderful wine program, it just kind of was became second nature. You know, it's like learning a second language by moving to a country and uh, eventually you just pick it up. And then I went on and worked in the wine business for a while. So I took that passion and was worked in the wine industry for a long time and was an importer and traveled the country and traveled abroad. And you immerse yourself then into the world of uh, gastronomy and good taste. You know, when you talk about vintners too, I mean, they're at one with the soil and the land and microclimates. And so, you know, never in, in the journey of my gastrological or gastronomic pursuits was I ever far from sort of the roots of the hard work and labor that goes into it, as well as the understanding that without a good earth and without stewardship of the earth and your workers and everything, you know, the product at the end is, is not worth it. 
Absolutely. And, you know, that brings me to kind of something that I want to point out and some someone or a group of people that I'd like to point out, because there is a lot of science involved in food when you get to the, no pun intended, the roots of it. And we have these valuable resources in our community that a lot of times folks, unless you're in a more rural area, don't know about. And that's the people at the local extension offices. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, how well you know those folks because you probably do collaborate with them on on some things at some level. But I have been able to get to know the extension folks really well. And for us, they're located, you know, just like right within town limits and they are a wealth of information and they're they're folks who during a regular farmer's market season come out to do educational programming there they they have a master gardener's tent usually set up so that people can come to learn how to grow their food that they're buying if they're buying plants from vendors and i know that you know just from going through the master gardener program that there there are a lot of important nuances when it comes to the science behind food. And they've just been such a great resource in helping farmers and helping the general public when it comes to anything that involves what we're doing, you know, with the earth to cultivate the earth. Absolutely. And I think it's also, yeah, hopefully we start to see a very creative, innovative culture start to establish itself within the extension offices uh, because I think that we have for a long time, the the culture of, of our approach towards local agriculture is built upon what we know and what we're used to. And I mean, our whole food system kind of started to break down in you know, the early part of the 20th century for various reasons of, of, you know, food sanitation and hygiene. And we started to further distance ourselves from our connection to the dirt and soil, um, home economics movement, um, you know, any number of things, you know, anti-immigrant issues and being able to, I mean, there were obviously issues of, of, of race and culture that were involved in how we started to uh, push ourselves away from the traditional old world ways and, and really inject science and industry. And, and we separated ourselves from it. And I think we still have a lot of that culture. If you look at a lot of our large farms are still farming for, they're, they're sending it off to uh, co-ops and they're selling commodity. Exactly. Yeah. Commodity farming is, you know, and then they're at, at the whim of, of trade tariffs. And if we are engaged in a trade war with China, you know, their entire profit is is at the hands mm-hmm. of someone not themselves. And so hopefully we start seeing the farmer's market model and the ability to sell direct to consumer, uh, whether through 4P or through food hubs or through any, any number of other resources where farmers start to take control of, of the sale of their product and realize a greater profit margin, you know, and hopefully the state gets behind that and, and offers, you know, innovative grants or innovation grants. And you look at what Moothrew has done, you know, the Smiths have been incredible. Yes, they are definitely a pretty amazing family with a really cool story. And one thing that I do speak with one of our extension agents, um, <laughs> he, he may or may not appreciate me calling him out. <laughs> Tim Olweiler, he's our horticulture agent for Fauquier County. And he's been a mentor for me with my, um, you know, nine to five with the fresh program in the school system. He's really helped me to develop the farm to school program that we have going on. But, you know, there are some other projects that that we try to collaborate on here and there. And I often go to him for advice and something that's very interesting. He was telling me right now, you know, there is such an outpouring of support, as you were saying, for our growers that sell direct to consumer. And he he was also saying that right now, 
it's actually some of the commodity farmers are struggling a little bit. And then some of those farmers that are a little bit larger scale, like, like you were saying, they may sell to co-op or whatnot. Um, some of those people are struggling a little bit, but it seems like some of those people are also looking at ways to kind of diversify their revenue streams, which I think is going to be really important uh, to contributing to the the local food system that that we are trying to build. Here's an example. I met, um, I was at a, don't tell the Warrington farmer's market. I was at a different farmer's market cheating and <laughs> I met this gentleman who sells eggs and he said, I have a decent size farm right over the line outside of Virginia and West Virginia. And I sell these eggs, um, to Costco. And he said, the really weird thing about it is that I am still a very small farm. So I do have to come to these markets to help bolster my revenue stream. And he said then, which I found was really interesting. And he said, the weird thing is that I sell my eggs to Costco. I'm from, you know, the Virginia, West Virginia area. They don't sell them in this area. They ship them all the way to California. And my eggs are only sold in California. So we could have, you know, we could be promoting or Costco could be promoting, you know, we get our eggs locally and yet they, they don't. And I don't know what the, maybe there's some reason I'm sure there's plenty of reasons that I'm not aware of that, that they do that, but it seems like a missed opportunity. I think, you know, absolutely. And in the UK, I believe Tesco started a program where they started identifying really from the County, from each of their, their meats and produce. So they identified, of course, it's a small country, you know, you have a lot, it's a different model and you can't compare, you know, an apple to that orange yes. um, because Costco has got to look at maintaining a distribution network that is consistent across the brown. So maybe that, you know, those eggs are going to California one month and the next month they have a shortage in, you know, Detroit, they need to send it to Michigan. So, you know, there's, they, they rely on consistency across the entirety of their spectrum. Um, right. But we're starting, you know, if you look at, you know, I think Chipotle is a good example, which really tries to invest in local, locally sourced agriculture. And I think you're, we're hopefully going to see more large scale businesses looking towards local solutions. Um, that would be my hope, whether or not that comes to fruition or pass or is, is even practically feasible. Right. But, you know, the consumer is going to drive that demand. And if consumers say, you know, I want to know where, where my meat food is coming from. So if I'm go- willing to go to Molly's Irish Pub and, and see that they have Whiffletree chicken or Whiffletree brats on their menu, well, that's, that's reassuring to me. And I think that we're well beyond the beginning stages. We're actually becoming to expect that anywhere we go. That farm-to-table movement is now no longer a no- novelty. It's becoming something that, you know, eventually it's going to hit McDonald's. And they're going to have to say, <laughs> you know, we're going to have to start identifying the source for our potatoes. And we're well, look- we'll take it. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> we'll true. We'll take it. And I think, yeah, it's it's the other thing is it the ability for so many of these farms have been built on that large scale agricultural model, and to scale down in order to scale up profit wise, it's a costly transition. I mean, you're looking at mm-hmm. it's it's a risky maneuver, and so there needs to be some ability, some way we got to figure out to help these farmers get up to that point, because without that we're going to see generations of farmers as young people look to take over mom and dad's farm and say, you know, do I really want to get up at 4 a.m. and not be able to afford health care and not be able to put my kids through college and not be able to 
you know, to work my fingers to the bone and, and at the end of the day, realize just enough money to basically keep myself afloat. So in order to make that transition, Ben Smith is a really great visionary for that as far as looking forward as to how he can start to. Um, so instead of having dairy cows that are producing gallons of milk to go into the industrial milk production chain, maybe they move for high fat cows and start making yogurt and cheese and start specializing. And we start going back to doorstep milk delivery. Yes. Um, well, I think milk and you bring up milk and I feel like dairy is a really good example of a large challenge. Um, just from the perspective of like myself who interfaces with the school nutrition department and you kind of learn about how milk is handled along the chain, right? So yeah. the bigger dairy companies like Dairy Pure and um, like Shenandoah, they purchase milk from all these amazing small family-owned farms. And then they ship the milk and it has to be processed. Um, and it all, all the milk from all the different farms gets mixed together. And then that's how, from that point, it gets packaged up to go, let's say, go to the school systems or grocery stores or whatnot. And I feel like that could be a really unnecessary step and it could keep our food closer to where it was made and the people who are connected to it. You know, we're willing to figure out as consumers and, you know, as farm owners, how to help each other through that transition. Yeah. I mean, said, it's, it's not going to happen without support from the public. I mean, when these farmers make this transition and, and a good model, and I can't remember specifically, but it was in Iceland. And I know that this farm had been a traditional, you know, industrial farm and they received a government grant to uh, modernize their facility. And so they moved to, you know, the robotic farming or the robotic milking so cows come in and they, they determine when they want to get milked. And so and they, the robots come in and clean. So it's a very high tech, very, you know, IT driven farm. And this the result was actually a higher production of higher quality milk. This farm was so successful. The public was so interested in it. They actually opened up a cafe in the milking facility so people could come and basically taste and enjoy the product and see. So you look at the way we visit wineries. Why should you not have that same desire to go and visit a, a dairy farm for the same, you know, experience, uh, in, enjoy right. their cheese, their yogurt and, and enjoy some milk. And, you know, and, and the more we get involved and curious and interested in where our food's coming from and not thinking it's just some, you know, mysteriously produced end product on the shelf of a grocery store, but, you know, it took human hands and it took, you know, it took care of animals, it took care of the earth, it took care of, of everything to get it there. And, you know, these things don't just, I mean, maybe outside of Velveeta, which can be you know, probably created <laughs> synthetically. <laughs> and apologies to Velveeta. I do know it uses real, real milk. So, and there's, I'm a huge fan of processed cheese. So, got to be careful where I say that. Everyone enjoys it. It has its place, right? You know, where, where, um, where would the, you know, it was invented in France, I believe, or Belgium. So, it's not an American product. It actually started in the land of cheese. So, it got it through World well, War One. You kind of made a, a point there that I think is what Chef Farm and Fork is looking to address and, and looking to do. You know, we are really looking to connect people to the stories that surround their food and the people who produce it. Because I think that, you know, when people understand a little bit more, they value a little bit more. Like you were saying, you know, all that goes into making your food. It's not only caring for, say, livestock or 
watering plants. It's really treating the earth in the way that we should treat it so that we are able to, to harvest the best from it. And so we've got to give back to the earth. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of don't realize doesn't happen in some of the larger scale farming operations. And I, I think they, you know, that they're getting a little bit better and I'm no expert by any means. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, there are always opportunities for improvement. And I think when people are aware of the stories, they're willing to contribute to the success of that. I, and I, fortunately, I do think that we are moving towards that direction Again, and this is largely credit to restaurants like Field and Maine and those restaurants that really, you know, attach the story and tell you specifically where you are, where they're sourcing, you know, their, their produce and, and their meats and, and et cetera. Um, the more that you're in touch with it, the more that you understand and the more that, you know, there's accountability that's built into that. We have gotten so, and again, this going back to my earlier point, that we have gotten so sort of cauterized from our a- attachment to the earth and, and our food process, going back to you know, the home economics movement, erased our minds. And when we erased our minds, we allowed for a lot of abuses to take place. I think if anyone mm-hmm. were to step foot into an industrial chicken or pork or meat, you know, cattle farm, you would never mm-hmm. touch that meat again. Um, yes. And so ethically sourced foods is healthy for the farmer. It's healthy for the farming families. It's healthy for farming communities. It's healthy for us as human beings. And so ultimately, it's up to the consumer to really start to, to turn our backs and say, you know what, I'm going to pay a little bit more. I'm going to the farmer's market because when I see that person, they can take me out there and they'll show me. We'll walk around that farm. We'll see everything about it. You know, I, I don't think your industrial farms are willing to take you on a tour, nor would you want to. Right. And I, you know, that kind of goes back to circling around to talking about how lucky we are to have um, organizations like the PATH Foundation, because what they've done, and specifically with helping with the SNAP match and helping with um, providing funding for the Pop Bucks program that's been taking place. And a few years ago, it was Fresh Bucks. And, you know, they were the ones who kind of supported and fostered that because they knew what they were doing is removing, helping to remove an economic barrier to health. That is really important. And I, I emphasize that a lot because in my work through my position with the public schools, you really see the lack of exposure that kids of a certain economic level have to this food. And, you know, I had one student who thanked the cafeteria lady. I shouldn't say cafeteria lady. Our new school nutrition staff, they call themselves cafeteria cafeteria ladies. So sometimes I fall into, into that. But, um, our, you know, was one of our cafeteria managers actually, and she was working, um, on the serving line. And she messaged me and she said, the coolest thing happened today. She said, I, this was about maybe like a year into my work with the Fresh program. And she said, I had this little boy who thanked me for having blueberries because he said that we never buy blueberries at the grocery store because they're too expensive. And he had like never had blueberries before. So that was one of those moments where you just kind of like, you're like, I'm trying not to cry. Seriously, like, you yeah. know, this is, this is great. Um, 
So just those kind of exposures too. I mean, think about how much access and opportunity they provide for really changing the trajectory of the choices to health that children will make now and in the future for themselves. Right. I mean, you, you can't take children for granted. You can't assume that all they want is some lunchable snack pack, prepackaged, you know, pre-processed food. Give them access to good food and, and see what happens. I mean, absolutely. My, one of my great heroes has always been Alice Waters. And I think, oh, yes, she's cool. Huh? She's the best. <laughs> I mean, and so great, funny story. So we were my wife and I had gone for a short visit to, uh, to San Francisco. And as a homage and pilgrimage, we decided we were going to go to uh, Cafe Panisse. And so we went upstairs. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, there's Alice Waters. She's eating at the re- so she's eating at the restaurant. So it was this fantastic experience. <laughs> it's like so cool. And then so we were leaving. And I saw her coming down and like literally I, was that? I assaulted her in an alley, but it was so sort of starstruck. <laughs> it was sort of like, you know, this, this moment I was like, I had to say, I was like, you know, Miss Waters, Miss Waters, you're just such an inspiration. You're so fantastic. I just love everything you do. And I love what you say. And I said, yeah, I said, but the one thing I got to, you know, my beef with you is you, you talk about all these wonderful farmer's markets you have in Berkeley and you're getting wild fennel and you're getting all these great things, and, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's just not the reality. And she looked at me, and she said, but it will be. I think you're right, Carter. I'm sorry to kind of jump the gun here, interrupt you a little bit, but I was just talking to one of the farmers at the market um, this past week, and I've been going to help him because he's been so wildly popular that he almost (laughs) needs his own like traffic control near his tent. And because we have that drive-through market for those of you who don't know. And so Joaquin was saying, Natalie, I think I want to build more high tunnels so I can extend our growing season because right now I have people asking me for tomatoes and that's usually not till June, but I think I can grow them and we can have them earlier, but I need more high tunnels. So it's, you know, what, what's going on right now and the awareness is, is really creating all kinds of opportunities for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's, again, as consumer demand grows as we the consumer we're the ones who make the decisions farmers will provide for us what we ask for so if we the more we ask for the more they'll provide and the more that so it's it's our everything is symbiotic everything is dependent upon each other i mean the whole earth cannot exist without other elements providing so everything has to work in harmony and this is absolutely true of our farmers market and we see how the farmers market just 10 15 years ago was okay but as we started to see this farm to table movement, we saw restaurants, you know, again, you know, Neil, when he was at Ashby Inn and then moving on to, um, to Field in Maine, we started Ayrshire Farms. You started to see what's going on at Salamander. Uh, we started to see yeah. a, a Red Truck Bakery, Brian Noyes. I mean, everyone started oh, really yes. highlighting this locally sourced. And as that grew, demand for greater produce and greater selection of the farmer's market grew. So our farmer's market, you know, has turned into something absolutely phenomenal again, largely due to the direction and vision of people like Brandy Schaefer um, and the, uh, you know, Elizabeth Melson and everybody else who's been involved with the, uh, with the market, bringing it to this point, but it's the consumers coming up and showing up and, and opening their wallets and saying, yes, I want this. 
Right. That's, you know, that's where it happens. I think that Warrington, the town of Warrington, has also another unique resource in that you all have a nonprofit called Experience Old Town Warrington. Charity Furness, that is the director there, has, you know, been working in conjunction with these folks as well from the town. And I think it's just such a beautiful collaboration because I know one thing that she and I have talked about is, you know, her her job is to help foster the businesses on main street. And, um, well, that's part of her job, (laughs) but I feel like, you know, one thing that we could do is kind of encourage the community to support one another, you know, encourage merchants and you'll see like town duck started to carry some items from a, um, local produce vendor at the farmer's market. And there are a couple other businesses on main street and the surrounding streets that carry local product too. So that's another layer of, you know, how we can be a more economically sound community. Absolutely. So the experience old town Warrington is part of the main street program, which is a national program. Uh, Virginia main street is part of the department of, um, housing and community development. Uh, The national program is an offshoot of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. When you look at the origins as to what brought this program to fruition nationally and here locally, was about the preservation of of historic districts, the preservation of what had traditionally been the center of commerce for localities that when we started moving to strip malls and then indoor malls and then online shopping, we started to see the migration away from the investment in small town America in main streets. And so this program came about to really focus to say that just the same way you would want to preserve Mount Vernon or Monticello or, you know, your, your national parks, these treasures that you collectively all value, you know, our small towns were kind of what defined America. And so they needed a little bit of help. And farmers markets, certainly why they are tend to be put in those places, why they are so perfectly appropriate for a small, you know, the, the downtown or small town or a main street community is because, you know, that traditionally, that's the heart of where your community was, you know, 100 years ago, if you lived in Remington and you needed to go get clothes or you needed to go get groceries, you would come to Warrington, you would come to Main Street. And so we're, we're tapping into what is a cultural heritage and keeping that very much alive. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, yeah, you cannot underestimate the value of, of what preservation means and how, you know, you're tapping into something, um, you know, it's, 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 it's historic, it's spiritual, it's, um, you know, it's a continuation. It's, it's a, it's a, something you kind of the torch you continue to carry yes and i don't know if there's a more modern term for this but i think like a lot of people might be familiar with the term county seat and that's what warrington is for fauquier county and i'm really glad to see all the different kinds of businesses that are coming into main street right now like just yesterday i was talking to cammy from old town open book and she is one of the people who have decided that she wanted to offer something local and you would think, well, that's a bookstore. What does she have to do with offering local things from the farmer's market? Well, she's partnered with Wallum gardens to bring flowers for, um, you know, mother's day promotion that she's doing. So there's all kinds of really cool ways to have some of these uh, retail shops 
bring in product from our vendors at the farmer's market and, and charity for Ness has been really creative and, um, you know, great about making suggestions for that. And it's always fun just to get everyone together and, and talk about how we can support Absolutely. each other. Absolutely. You know, you're not, you know, Amazon's never going to come to your rescue in, a, in helping each other. I mean, Amazon and no offense to Amazon, they have their own business model, but you know, their interest is not in our, they do not share the same values and interests that we do. Uh, so at the end of the day, we share a common goal and that is a successful town. It's a successful community. It's a successful County and we look after each other. And so there is collaboration. There is, you know, camaraderie, there is opportunity and we share ideas. We speak to each other, you know, there's competition of course, but you know, it's healthy competition because, you know, we realize that there is, you know, our greater competition exists outside our borders. And if we don't support one another, you know, we all rise or fail, you know, on the same hill. And so we're going to stand and defend it. And, um, and in doing so, the, the, the greater each of us succeeds, the greater everyone else has the opportunity to, to benefit from it. So we, we share mutual goals and Hopefully we all achieve mutual outcomes. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to also let folks know for, for those of you who aren't aware, Carter actually has um, a retail location in Old Town Warrington on Main Street. Um, tell, tell everybody a little bit about what you all do at Carter and Spence. Right. So Carter and Spence, my wife founded the business in 2004. She had been, we'd been living in Charlottesville prior to that. I was working in the wine business and she worked at a jewelry store on the downtown mall. And um, I decided that after you know 10 years of managing that store, she wanted to strike it out on her own and sort of stars aligned. And my parents came into um, uh, ownership of the building that we're in. And so they said, well, we've got a building, you've got a business plan, let's make this work. And it was especially sort of serendipitous because uh, the, bus- the building that we're in was the home of Hearst Jewelers uh, on Main Street. And it was uh, Hearst Jewelers from about 19, when it was built, I think 1939, 1940, up till about 2000 when the Hearst retired. And so the lifespan of that building had been a, a jewelry store. And I remember going in and, and Margaret and Clifton were just wonderful people. And, you know, so this, this opportunity came and the chance to be able to sort of bring back to Main Street what was had been a staple jewelry store um, was just, it meant a lot to us. And Margaret Hearst was, um, my stepmother was Margaret Hearst's goddaughter. So there was, you know, sort of family obligation. And it was just, it was this wonderful opportunity. And so, so Kathleen started the business and we decided to kind of take what Margaret and Clifton had and put a modern twist to it. And, you know, being a small business, you sort of have to stay on your toes. And, you know, <laughs> what, what we are today is very different than what we were back then. But, you know, and especially now as we're going through this, you know, lockdown and, and stay at home, I mean, we're constantly evolving. And I think that's an advantage that small businesses have. That is. And we've been hearing that echoed a lot throughout the small business community downtown. I kind of want to put a personal plug in for something that I've seen that you all carry that I am just in love with. Uh-huh. So if you, if you don't mind, I'm, just indulge me for a minute oh, here. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know a lot of food and beverage people who are really in tune to paying respect to the bee, as in like a bumblebee who pollinates all of our food, right? 
And you all have this line from a jewelry designer, Alex Monroe, from the UK, right? Yep, from London. Yeah, from London. And they have a collection that includes a bumblebee. And I I think if you are someone who pays homage to that that bumblebee, that this is the perfect, like, gift to yourself or gift to someone you love for Mother's Day. And uh, that's just a personal, <laughs> a personal opinion I'm throwing in there for you because I love pretty things. Um, I manage a high-end women's shop for 10 years and I was in, I actually went through culinary school while I was managing that shop. So I enjoyed all the buying and going to markets and going to gift shows and finding the products that have those same kind of unique stories. Like we were talking about with our farmers um, and our ranchers in the community. And I I get a sense when I go into your, your family shop, that is what you all do. Absolutely. So Alex Monroe is a good example. And then we, yeah, where would we be without bees? Right. Um, right. And so Alex Monroe, we really try hard to curate what we bring in. I'd love to say that, you know, everything is is small batch and, you know, artisanally made. But really, our focus is on that. Um, really trying to find things that are unique and distinctive. And Alex Monroe came to us, was introduced by actually a sales rep reached out to us. And, uh, and we just fell in love with it. And it's all handmade in London. And um, so it's it, and it's and each piece sort of shows the care and creativity and this sort of, you know, this appreciation of nature. And I'll give a small quick plug. We actually right now have a trunk show going on of Alex Monroe's pieces. So all his work is uh, 20, 20 percent off right now. Uh, wow. For, maybe I'll get what I want. Exactly. It's like a, <laughs> a Mother's Day graduation kind of special. But but uh, but yeah, I mean, he just he captures nature and brings it to life. And so, you know, it's it tells a story. And I think that, you know, people are looking at jewelry no longer as to sort of show wealth or status. But you want your jewelry to kind of to tell a story. You want it to reflect your personality. I mean, the same way that, you know, a, a book for mom might want to come with a, a, some fresh, you know, locally grown flowers. Um, you know, we, we were a little bit more thoughtful in the way we gift these days. It's, there's more of a story, there's more of an experience tied to it. And, and as you said, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if you're going to, you know, enjoy the earth and celebrate the earth and you're a grower, I mean, what better amulet to wear than a bee, you know, sort of what, what's going to evoke the greatest power of sort of, you know, without the bees to pollinate, we're, we're stuck. So let's, let's worship that which brings us life. Yes. And one thing that I do want to mention, because you, you're saying that you have a trunk show right now, is that I I like the Alex Monroe line because they offer some options for price point because they have they have gold dipped and then they have solid gold, yeah. too. And I think it's really nice to have those options because you know sometimes you're you're looking for a super special occasion gift and sometimes you're looking for a regular special occasion gift <laughs> if, if that doesn't contradict itself too much no I, um I, I give but there's a- those milestones that you want something extra special and you know you may want to put a little bit more of um of an investment into it and and then there's you know i have my jewelry kind of like in the industry we we call it fashion jewelry and so you know the fashion jewelry that you can throw on every day and you can take on trips with you and not worry too much about it and I think I really appreciate that you all offer a variety of price points when it comes to that and I want to I want to just dispel the myth that because I used to come across this a lot too when I managed a boutique you know I want to dispel the myth that the boutique is always 
going to be way more expensive than what you're going to find at, say, like a traditional mall or a traditional online store. It, it's not always, you know, and, and it just really depends on what you're looking at and what your needs are at the time. Yeah, true. Absolutely. I think the, um, you know, we, we sort of suffer on Main Street with sort of an assumption that we're all high end and too expensive. And I think if you anybody were to spend a little time and walk up and down and visit these shops, you'd realize that that is just not true. And we, every single store that I know of recognizes this. And we also, again, going back to that nimbleness, that ability, that agility to respond to changing times. Um, we know that our customers by and large would rather save up their money for a trip. They'd rather go somewhere and experience something very, you know, unique and, and that opportunity to go and see the world has greater value than it did a generation ago when you might want to wear that giant diamond ring because everyone's going to say how successful you are. Today, your, your trip to, you know, your, your hiking trip across the United Kingdom, your, your trip to Bhutan, you know, your, your ability to go to South Africa and come back and, and, and tell these stories is, is greater value. And so, you know, we'd rather you spend your money to be able to go explore the world, but then spend $150 and have wonderful jewelry to wear with you and, you know, and not worry about it, you know? And so if, if two years, your taste change, you're looking for something else, you know, another hundred dollars and you can find something fun. I mean, there's, there's so many wonderful options out there. And I think you see most businesses on main street really looking towards um, having fun, enjoying and, and getting the most out of life. And we're not materialistic as we once were, but you know, we still like to treat ourselves and look good, don't we? Yes, I I definitely yeah. think so, especially coming from someone who can, you know, work in a sweaty kitchen for several hours a time. I know, like, I want to be extra girly in my other life. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know, said you don't. Who who wants to go out there? And I mean, our our tastes and culture has changed a little bit. So there's certainly, I mean, let's not dismiss the value of of something that's just an heirloom piece that is going to be passed right. on. I mean, that's that's always going to be there. But you know, it's it's fun. Yeah, we want to change it up. You know, our personalities are changing. We sort of, you know, what we are next year is going to be different than we are this year. I mean, shoot, just even where we are in May is different from where we feel we were in January. So, oh, that's the truth. Know. Well, I think another good thing to point out about the businesses on Main Street, um, and this is kind of the last point that. I want to make, but it, it's just been sticking in the back of my mind that yes, each shop may kind of have a specialty that they focus on, but they also have some really good everyday provisions. Like, you know, looking at um, Von Cannon general store, I, you know, I walked in there the other day because I, I called and they said, my mom's from London and I was looking for a package of Cadbury flakes for yeah. mother's day and they had one package left. So I rushed in there after the farmer's market and snatched it off the shelf, but I was taking some time going around Von Cannon and I said, you know, there really are a lot of things here I use in my everyday life. Like coffee is becoming really important to me lately <laughs> with, right, all right. These, with all these meetings. <laughs> so they have, um, you know, they have coffee in there, they have spices, they have some kind of like different sauces and things like that. And same with Town Duck, you know, Town Town Duck does have, you know, some of the more luxurious 
food and beverage items, but but they also have some great things for every day. Some chutneys and jams and jellies and pickled items and a whole bunch of amazing yummy crackers. And they've just got such a nice uh, assortment. And so, you know, I just encourage people that are listening, you know, don't don't come to the town of Warrington with preconceived notions that you're going to spend $1,000 when you walk into a store. I mean, they really, merchants have such a great selection. There's something for almost everyone in almost every shop. Yeah, I mean, how many how many jewelry stores would you go to? You expect to find a, a jar of fresh salt or, uh, you know, a bar of soap. And that's the, that's where we are. Um, yeah. But, you know, but you know, also remember the shoe center. I mean, one of the last towns in the state of Virginia that has a operating shoe repair center and so i mean this yep. is a third generation anchor store staple of main street and so you can go in and get shoelaces for your red wing boots um you can get an insole for you know an insert for your shoe i mean you know we talk about daily work a day needs um and you can take those boots that are 10 years old and get them fixed up so you don't have to go dispose of them and reuse them so i mean you want to talk about one of the most sort of uh, valuable businesses on Main Street that is often overlooked. I mean, the shoe center is is it's I don't it's not a dying art. He is a I just I mean it's it's remarkable and I you know when you see and the work he does you know it's we're lucky to have him. I mean, so many towns have seen that business those businesses disappear, but this town supports him and he's still in business. And you can go get a pair of work boots and get them repaired. And I mean, try 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 having that happen at DSW. Or is that yes. Like- and if you're one of those people who really does invest in quality products, it's it's reassuring to know that their lifetime value is greater than you think because it can be extended by a service like a heel repair or, you know, a little bit of leather work um, or fixing a buckle or a zipper. Yeah. And and I think, you know, we've gotten to the point where things are so disposable. Like my <laughs> my now husband, um, we had inherited this Dyson vacuum from, from my parents when they got a new one. And I kind of gave my mom a hard time because there was really nothing wrong with her vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and um, I it stopped working one day. And I said, well, there's only a few things it could be. It's just a vacuum cleaner. You know, this is not rocket scientist and so you know we took it to get it repaired and it ended up just being like a little problem with one of the wires and I I think that particularly and I I don't want to pigeonhole us but end of the millennial generation the the older end I I think that's something that we didn't grow up with we didn't grow up with fixing stuff we just got new stuff (laughs) yeah so I think that's something that that shoe repair story and, and what they do kind of just brings to mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm Gen X and my father fixed everything. So I sort of have a tinkerer's uh, a, a mind and also just sort of a whatever mentality. So um, it's, uh, but I, your, your point is absolutely valid. And I think you'll see most businesses on main street and throughout town, most of the small independent businesses throughout the town of Warrington and other towns and communities within the County of Fauquier, really do try to focus on quality. And I mean, I, I would rather sell you something that's going to last you 20 years than to sell you something that's going to have you come back. I mean, outside of a bar of soap, of course, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to sell you something that's going to fall apart. You know, we stand behind what we sell you. I want it to be something that, you know, if, if it's not an heirloom quality, it will at least allow you years of, of enjoyment before you have any problems. If you do ever, I hope you grow tired of it before it becomes a problem. for you. <laughs> and so, um, and so, yeah, so you, you are going to pay a little bit more. 
But with that, you're going to get your gift wrapped. You're going to get hands-on service. We're going to walk you through it. We're going to ship it for you. You know, we're going to do so many things. And we're also going to stand behind our product. And I, I just have been so disappointed so many times with things I've ordered off the internet that weren't the quality I expected, that broke so, shortly after I got it. And I had no one to talk to and no one. And it's we've lost that yes. touch, that connection with, with, you know, going back to the same thing. You know, I'd rather connect with my dairy farmer. I'd rather connect with my, you know, source for my meat and sausages, my my produce farmer. I'd rather be able to meet to them because if I go back and say, you know, man, your your broccoli was delicious, and they can say thank you. We really take pride in it. Um, there's connection. But when I go to Harris Teeter or I go to the supermarket or I order something on the internet, I have no idea from where it came, and so it, uh, we're removed from it. So we, we, it depersonalizes. It takes away opportunities for us to really connect to what we are purchasing. Um, and at that point, then we're just consumers. At which point, what are we? You know, can't we be something right. more than just a consumer? Right. And I think that's a, a great note to end on because that's really the takeaway for for most of our audience here is, you know, we have the ability to vote with our dollar. You know, I think probably it was maybe maybe we'll just use the Michael Pollan quote, like with when it has to do with food, you know, and with food, you get to vote three times a day, yeah. <laughs> usually. So having having said that, I've been I've talked to you a couple times about having conversations or collaborating on kind of food or beverage things. And I, I'm just so glad that you were able to find a little bit of time for us to spend talking to us today, because I had a feeling we were going to be able to geek out over these kinds of topics. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Carter. And, and I hope that, uh, everyone will really just, you know, listen to the conversation we've had and just do a little bit of reflection on on how we can best support our, our neighbors and, and the people who really do care about the products that they're putting out there. Well, so thank you. Thank you, Natalie. I think the one thing we all have to do is we have to keep having this conversation. I mean, what is our ethical investment in, in, the, in our role in the food chain? I mean, if we're not just the end consumer, we can be more. And if we can be more, what is the power that comes with that? And how can we transform the world in which we live on a local scale? And we start on a local scale. How can we take it larger than that? I mean, at the end of the day, what we start locally, eventually Walmart will pick up on it. And then the world changes. Absolutely. And, and just, I'm going to just drive this point home one more time about inclusivity, you know, and how can we include everyone in the community in that conversation, no matter your level of disposable income. And so I really just, I have to say one more time, thank you so much to the PATH Foundation for always assisting to make sure there is a little bit more of a level playing field when it com comes to access. Um, and I promise that's the last time I'll say that in this conversation. But, that, but, but Natalie, you're, you're so right. That is so important. This cannot be an elitist thing. It cannot be reserved just for the affluent. This has to be top to bottom and bottom to top. In fact, it is more greater strength when it comes from the the, the ma vast majority of us who are operating on limited incomes. And I mean, and so for those of us in the middle class, um, you know, for those of us who are looking out for those who have less opportunity financially, um, the more we make that accessible to them, it, it, it is a it is a proletariat driven solution. And so that's the only way it's going to work. If it's just reserved for the elites, it will never transform anything. On that note, it's getting to be dinner time. So I yep. hope you have something you're going to really enjoy tonight. I know I do from our friends at the farmer's market. Indeed. So thank you. Um, I might have a Tana's pot pie tonight. <laughs> it's been a long day. I need some, I need some time to just relax while something does its magic in the oven for me. Well, Natalie, for, thanks for having me. <laughs>
All right, Carter, you take care. You too. Take care. Our next guest is Neil Wavra of Field and Maine in Marshall, Virginia. Hi, Neil. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate your time today. I wanted to discuss something that you all are doing right now that is a big, big service to the community and something that in my nine to five job, uh, and just as a person in general, I'm really, truly grateful for. So would you be able to talk a little bit about how some restaurants, including Field and Maine, are supporting students in the community who might be at risk for food insecurity? Absolutely. Yes. You know, it, it, the the challenging times that we are in have caused a number of restaurants to to pivot operations. I mean, most about most restaurants focus their efforts on serving clientels within their four walls or their within their, the confines of their building. And um, that can't happen now. But one of the wonderful upsides to that is that we're still capable of producing food and to caring for people. And so as schools closed, especially students in the in a number of public schools where they were counting on breakfasts and lunches and things to be provided by the school system or at least through the construct of the school, um, they are going without food. <clears throat> and I know the schools have pivoted in, in their own way to try to figure out a way to, to deliver or to have available for pickup some food that way. And what we've discovered is an opportunity to, to do what we're doing in our day-to-day -day operations now, which include making uh, burgers and sandwiches that are to go. And then we do a daily meal that uh, our patrons are purchasing and picking up for reheating purposes for their own dinners. We have figured out that, hey, we can we can tack on X percentage, 10% to kind of uh, what we're making and just donate that. And the, the support of the community for our operation has allowed us then to sort of pay that forward, if you will, to those that are in need. And the Fresh program in Fauquier has allowed us to have an outlet for that effort. We are a restaurant that from the day one wanted to be community focused and we've developed a community of followers, of patrons who, who support our restaurant, but we didn't necessarily always have the avenue to, to reach further into the community. And while certainly would rather not necessarily have anyone have to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the upsides of the experience of dealing with this pandemic is that we have found ways then to be more proactive and more integrated with the larger community, a community that doesn't necessarily come through our doors. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's been echoed in conversations that I've had around the community, you know, for this entire period of COVID response. And, you know, the ladies from Fish were saying that they feel like they had kind of a renewed relationship with the school system, um, just in that you know, the Fresh program in general, without talking about my nine to five too much, um, you know, we're just acting as the conduit to help match resources to volunteers in that way. And if handing out meals is something that volunteers can do while the restaurants are certainly doing their part to provide the meals. So we do appreciate that. And I also wanted, you were saying that you all always had a mind to be community focused um, in your business and your way of doing business. Could you talk a little bit about what you have done with Fauquier County Public Schools Culinary Department in the past? Sure. So one of the things we started 
in our first year of operation was a program called Seedlings. And Seedlings is the idea that we bring students from area schools into the restaurant for a two day, sometimes just one day program whereby we craft a menu together. We develop and conceptualize the menu, prepare um, some media materials for it, cost out the menu, and then work to actually fabricate that menu and prepare it for friends and family uh, and the community too, if they wish to come, but principally the uh, seat sell out with friends and family of the students. Um, and then all the proceeds go back to that school. And so um, it's been a great experience. Uh, if, if labor laws didn't dictate that we had to have a certain <laughs> age number, we could run restaurants. For kids. <laughs> they, did, they do great, great work. Uh, it's remarkable to see them dive in and to, to produce a meal that is worthy of someone paying for it and a, a great experience that way. But also then they walk away with some, hopefully some tangible knowledge that they can go home and make a vinaigrette. They don't need to buy a, uh, a salad dressing. They know how to break down a chicken and use a chicken for chicken breast for one application, legs for another application, make a stock, make a sauce, make a soup, and you can eat three or four meals off of a chicken. And so having them come in contact with where their food comes from is important. And then knowing what to do with that food is equally important. And then understanding that everybody serves someone. And if you've been served, it, it helps you to appreciate those that are serving you if you too have served as well. And so the program brings back a little bit of resources to the, the, uh, the school system, but it also more importantly, I think, gives the kids an experience that hopefully will help them appreciate I, at, least, at the very least, those that serve them in the, in the future, but also might spur an interest in, in being part of a service industry. And we've got, actually, we have uh, a couple of, of now former Seedlings students who work for us, which oh, is awesome. That must be super, super rewarding. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, <laughs> it's remarkable. And to watch them flourish, uh, it's, it's super exciting. And, and that's... I, I, our desire and my wife and I was, we started Field in Maine. We had worked in some really wonderful properties and some great higher end experiences that were frankly privileged. And it was a privilege to work in them because we got to handle 25th anniversaries and, and birthdays that were special celebrations. And we saw people for once in a lifetime experiences. And that was wonderful, but we didn't have a form of community that sort of built around those restaurants. And so when we created Field Maine, we wanted to be able to say to those that we lived with, you can come in for dinner and you can see the community that you're part of also working here. And you can see the farmers that are making the products that we use to produce our meals here dining as well. And that's a, a really gratifying part of, of what Field Maine has become. Yes. Well, I think last year you all worked with um, Becky Hale. She's the culinary teacher at Fauquier High School. Is that correct? Yes. That's great. Now, do you all have any plans for a seedling program? Um, I mean, with COVID response, I know it's a little challenging to plan, but in terms of moving forward in, in future years, will you have plans to continue this? Yes, absolutely. We do. Uh, we do one to two events a year. We've, we've, um, We've done, we did one this year right before the response. We did one with uh, Mountainside Montessori School, who is our, our, our test subject. And we've done it with them each year. So we kind of developed the relationship and, and fleshed out the concept with them. And then we add a different school to it uh, each year. And then this year, uh, probably won't do another one because of the, the COVID 
situation, but we will look certainly in 2021 to begin the program again and, and take off from where we, we left off. Now, that's great. How do schools who are interested in participating go about finding this opportunity? They can contact me. Um, and and we, we have talked with other schools in the past. I've reached out to kind of get schools interested because they didn't know it was an opportunity. But if they listen to your podcast and hear about it, they can certainly contact me and we can look at trying to put something together for either next year or the year after. Yep. And you know, I'll always do my part to get you on the inside track with the school system. As long as I'm there, I'm happy to make connections to culinary teachers and the like. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're happy to do that. And it's one way to give back. But it's as I said, it's also it. When you serve someone, you, you are served in return. And we get wonderful employees out of it. We get um, to meet more of the, the folks who are part of our community. My children go to the public schools in Faulkner County. So it's, it's important to us that we give back in that way. Absolutely. And I think the one thing that is wonderful about this program is that it really provides a very unique experience and learning. And I think those experiential learning opportunities are becoming more and more important these days. I couldn't agree more. One of beyond having the opportunity to hire somebody from the program, I I heard last year that the, the program was, was the highlight of the year for some students. I mean, of the whole year. And I think that's you're, you're putting a fine point on it. The experience, having an actual life experience as well as learning something makes a great impact on a student and can help them and will be a reference point. Whether or not they're in, you know, they want to cook or they want to serve uh, in, in the hospitality setting in the future, it will be a reference point for their future. And that's that's awesome. Yeah, and certainly in my culinary career, I have found that the experiences are the truly, truly important thing. I mean, of course, the education is important as well in terms of, you know, some of the basic principles of running a business, but there's nothing that substitutes that hands-on kitchen time. So I know that this is a valuable experience. And I just want to say thank you so much for everything you're doing in the community and in the school system. We just appreciate that you are a resource for our families um, and friends too. Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Well, Neil, thanks again for your time today. And I look forward to doing a porch pickup with you all. Okay. Oh, can, can we just talk about the porch pickup for a minute before I let you go here? Because that was, I yeah. had such a great experience with porch pickup this weekend. Your staff was just, they were so kind and professional and I felt so safe picking up food from your porch, um, even the little market table that you have set up. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with the service you're providing, could you just talk to them a bit about what yeah, that entails? Sure. So from 12 to 6, Wednesday through Monday. So we're closed Tuesdays. From 12 to 6, we're open and we offer a menu that involves uh, our umami burger, which uh, which I think you enjoyed, right? Yes. Um, a super tasty burger and then we also have a planet burger which is a a bean and sweet potato kind of vegetable based burger and then a series of other sandwiches that are available to be ordered uh, via our website feelinmainrestaurant.com and you can place an order there and it's usually ready you can pick a time for when you want to pick it up essentially Um, and that way it's ready when you get there and or you can come up and just place an order and then it'll take a few moments and we'll have that ready for you. We have a little market table set up with some wines that you can purchase to take with you, some beers. And now because cocktails are 
are legal to be uh, bottled and sold. We have that as well. We have a series of our, our crafted cocktails to be taken away. We have um, a number of farmers that we're working with. It's, you know, COVID has stopped a lot of things, but it hasn't stopped nature from producing. <laughs> and so we're ha- we have uh, a series of farms that we're sourcing from for our production, but also then we have fresh produce that you can pick up and take home with you if you wish as well. And then we have the option, as I mentioned before, each evening um, of a different to-go meal that you might reheat for dinner. And uh, there's six of those each week, one for each evening. Wow. Well, I was coming up um, to Marshall from the Plains because I had just visited Archwood Green Barns Market. I was doing a little bit of filming there and a few interviews. And so I said to my husband, and this wasn't in our original play, I don't know if I told you this. It was my birthday on Sunday, so what? you oh, were my sorry, yeah. You I didn't were know my, that. Happy birthday! Thank you. You were my birthday lunch, um, and so we had been to Archwood to film, and then I was like, you know what? We're up here. Let's just go. Let's just go to Marshall. So we went over and you know parked behind Red Truck, and so I didn't place my order super far in advance, and I think um, the young woman Katie is it Katie? Yes. Katie was so awesome. I called and I said. I'm kind of just across the street. She was like, it'll be ready in 10 minutes. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) So she saved me from hanger because it was way past, (laughs) it was way past my lunchtime. And I was thinking, oh, I might have to wait like another hour, but it was great. (laughs) Perfect. No, yeah, it's, it's, we were able to streamline that pretty well. I mean, we have, we have a kitchen that worked well for what we wanted to, to accomplish with this pivot. Um, and we have a we have that patio, which is wonderful, a space that allows people not to have to come into the building at all. And so it, it's a safe spot to pick things up and you can you can socially distance. And right now we're fortunate. Right. It's it's beautiful out. And yes. so it's a good time to be out and just popping by in a safe way to pick up some food and uh, and have a moment of conversation from a safe distance. Yeah. And, and something worth mentioning, too, is that there is a little bench right outside of that porch pickup and you know there's not people gathering at the bench you know usually it's just a couple people who are picking up at a time and I sat down and was able to have my burger um and not feel you know not feel unsafe there it was just per- right. and plus you all have all those beautiful plants planted there so I was just enjoying the scenery <laughs> perfect yes that's right. Well, Neil, again, I think I'll really let you go this time. Thank you so, so much. And I hope we get to speak with you again in the future. Absolutely. I look forward to it very much. Thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure. Thanks, Neil. Hi, Chef Natalie here. Words cannot describe how much I appreciate your support. This is a pro bono passion project that I started to spread the stories about our local food and the people who work hard to make it available to our community. If you enjoy the content we've been providing, please consider making a listener contribution. All funds will be put to use in our local economy through the procurement of ingredients for our show exclusively from local farmers, ranchers, and food artisans. I will utilize the ingredients in the weekly cooking episode of our show. I do not receive any compensation in the form of money or product from vendors because I want to preserve the integrity of the value of their products. Thank you for your support.